if you're any kind of artist, screenwriting or novelization or, or graphic artist, you're competing with Picasso. If you're a writer, you're competing with Hemingway. If you're a screenwriter, you're competing with John Huston and Aaron Sorkin, and, and that's a high bar. But the marketplace is the marketplace. So you got You have to know your market, and you have to educate yourself, and you have to just keep at it. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six- to seven-figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Baloo, and boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. I found out about this particular thought leader when I was reading a book that was recommended to me by another thought leader. And the name of this book is Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. And the author of this book, Blake Snyder, liberally quoted and praised our guest today in this book. He is one of the top script experts in all of the world. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Mike Cheetah. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hi. <laughs> How you doing, man? Good to have you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. After that introduction, I'm, I'm like, you know, I want to look myself up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mission accomplished. I love giving great introductions. Okay. So, Mike, you know, you and I are just getting to know each other, and uh, I feel I know a little bit about you because I've been reading Blake Snyder's books, but I I don't know a ton about you. I do know you're incredible at what you do, and I do know that you're truly a thought leader because you're known for being incredible at what you do. And one of our definitions of thought leadership is we draw a, a distinction between someone who's an expert and someone who's a thought leader. An expert, we say, is someone who's known, who knows something. A thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. A thought leader is like a band that plays original music versus an expert that's a cover band. So <laughs> okay. you like those definitions? They're pretty cool. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my listener is someone who listens to this show because, you know, they're a man or a woman who's in business for themselves. They, uh, they're interested in being a thought leader. They might be interested in writing a book. Uh, what I do know is they want to make the world a better place and they want to live life as the best version of themselves. And one of the reasons they listen to the show is because they want to learn from you. But, but before they can really learn from you, they need to get to know you. That way they get to open their hearts up to you once they get to feel your heart. So tell us your backstory, Mike. How'd you get to be the great Mike Cheetah? Uh, I, gosh, with such an introduction, it's like I'm tongue-tied. Uh, I, I've been in the I've been in the business all my life, the show business that that is. In my ex, my expertise or thought lead, thought leading or whatever you want to call it thought leadership is is, is limited to 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 uh, screenplays and the movies. And I, I was I had a, a film degree from a from a San Francisco State University many years ago. Uh, that I, I found myself uh, working. Actually, I, I, you're, you're based in Toronto, right? That's right. Yeah, I used to I used to work there. Oh, cool! I, I used to work for CTV many years ago. Come on, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and 
and, and worked in you know I worked on some Canadian movies, worked on some Canadian TV series. I I, I wrote a, a sitcom for CBC for a while many well, years ago. Cool. Which one? Uh, we you wouldn't have heard. It. it was called Flappers. Okay. It was like back in the day. So uh, so then then I I, I kind of. Toronto, I mean, as big as it is, and, and as much business is done there, and I, I have a lot of people I work with in Toronto, and and I've just, I've just had a long email with a guy in Quebec, you know, which is who has actually amazing English for a guy who's virtually monolingual. But uh, anyway, uh, I, 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 I sort of ran out of, of, of I topped out in, in, in Toronto. As big as it is, the business is kind of small, and I moved to L.A., and you know, this is decades ago. Moved to LA and uh, and and worked in, in development and for Disney and HBO and, and some smaller companies. And and I discovered that I I thought I was really smart and 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 knew all about the business from working in, in you know in Toronto. I didn't know anything. I came down here and I got educated, you know, in the, in, in in boardrooms and in it's like it's a different world. Hollywood is like a real thing. I mean it's. People here know what they're doing, and uh, and so I wanted to be one of those people. So I, you know, I, I paid attention. I, I learned at the feet of, of people who are really smart, and uh, and 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 I met. God, how long ago? I guess twenty five years ago. I, I met Blake Snyder, who was who I was working at uh, at a production company, and he came in to pitch me stuff. And he's he was really an entertaining guy. And and so we, we would just have a good time, and so I would you know we would we would hang out in off hours and talk about stories and stuff, and then get together and we actually did something together, and and uh, nothing ever got made, and but we we would talk about the you know the, the about how films are put together and, and the theory of filmmaking and and and, uh, and, and out of those discussions he, he I hadn't heard from him for a couple of years and he and 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 do you have a domain name? This is 50 years ago, if you remember. So, so he said, "Well, you get it. Call Go." He gave me the phone. Literally gave me the phone number for GoDaddy, and said, "Register your, don uh, uh, go your domain name because I put it. I made one up and put it in my book." <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I did. Yeah, literally what happened. So I called up GoDaddy, who used to be much nicer to deal with than they are now, even though I'm still with them. And 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 uh, and started a website and 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 then and then and, and Blake and I still were involved in a, in a lot of projects and everything, and and then he, you know, I mean, just died. It was like horrible. We were in the middle. We were. Lit, it was the day we were. I was expecting a phone call from our manager, telling us telling us that a deal had, had just been done because they were they were in the middle of negotiating, and and the phone call was him saying, "You're not going to believe this." And it was Blake had died, and and uh, this is like you know, twelve years ago, and it was so shocking. But the book lived on, much. I mean, much to his delight, I'm sure, because he always fantasized about writing a book that would last, and he did. And people like teach courses in it now, and and, and then they come out of those courses and they, they read about me in the book, and they they email me and say, are, "Are you a real person? Are you still alive?" Yada yada, and and. Uh, you know, so so now I became a, like an expert on screenplays because of Blake. Because of Blake. I know. God bless Blake Snyder. I mean, it, it's shocking that he passed away so young. I think he was just 51 years old when he passed. He's younger than I am now. Yeah. 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 
but he wrote something that was fresh, it was new, it was different, and established him as a thought leader in the arena of writing screenplays, right? Actually, he wrote kind of what the same, he wrote pretty much the same book as Sid Field. Yep. He wrote a book writing the screenplay. And it's basically, the, it's just what everybody was doing. All Blake did was make it really accessible because he was a really entertaining guy in, in life yeah. and on page. He had a great living as a, as a screenwriter because his scripts were so easy to read because he was just he was just really entertaining. And he wrote a really entertaining, way, accessible way as a sort of an instruction manual how to how to how to put screenplays, and and uh, and it became a huge success just because he's such a good writer. You know, but but it's the, a method everybody always was was using. It's not. It wasn't like he didn't invent this method. It was like he was just communicating it really well. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I I read I read the book. I read Save the Cat, and now I'm reading Save the Cat Goes to the Movies. I just started that one, and yes, it's very entertaining, but it's it's almost like a how-to manual of how to tell a story. And there's a couple of reasons that's interesting to me. Number one is I'm taking on a childhood dream of mine, which is to write a novel and and sell it. And I'm fortunate in that because of being the host of this podcast, I've managed to interview uh, a, a pretty successful novelist, a man by the name of Jeff Hopp. He writes under the pen name G. Michael Hopp, and he wrote a series of books called the, the New World Series, or uh, you know, post-apocalyptic thrillers that have sold about a million copies in total, which is pretty cool. Um, and um, they're they're fun books. I've read them all. They're really great. And I thought to myself, wow, these are great stories. I'd love to interview this guy. And I interviewed him and I blurted out to him that it's always been my dream to, to be a novelist. And, and I gave up on my dream 25 years ago to go into business. And he says, no, you can do it, man. Go for it. You can do it. And I was just like, yeah, you know what? He's right. I should do this. So anyways, we had a few conversations and he said, look, send me some work you've done. So I did. He said, you're actually a pretty decent writer. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll write a book with you. I'm like, what? You will? He says, yeah, just write the first draft, then send it to me, and you know we'll, we'll come up with an agreement, and you know it'll, it'll do reasonably well. I've got a following out there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is so cool. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm writing a book, and I've been reading Blake's work, you know, not, not to write a screenplay, at least not at this stage, but to really learn how to tell a good story. And I also think... Stories, stories, yeah, yeah, you get the right idea. Yeah, I also think it's very important you know, in business, because, you know, facts tell, but stories sell. Human beings love hearing stories. Stories are what allow business transactions to take place in the world of business. So when I saw your website in Blake's book and I, and I found you, I thought, man, this is so cool. I get to speak to somebody who's, you know, a true thought leader in the world of of making movies and writing scripts and making scripts tell powerful stories. So I'm really excited to have you here with us today, Mike. So Mike, tell me a little bit about, um, in, in, in your view, what is it that makes for a great story? Oh, it's, God, it's, it's not so much, uh, how to, how to explain this? It, it's it's what you it's engagement with the audience. You know, it's it's like is it something that that 
people will respond to or you know, it, it, it grips them. You know, it's you, you it's, it's, it, you, you, I'm always, people in the business and, and myself included are always looking for that, 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 that story that, that takes, takes you somewhere you haven't been before with people you haven't seen before, you know, and, and, and people, people that aren't good writers are always saying, well, there's only so many good stories. That's absolutely false. I mean, what we, what we look for and what we rarely find, because it's really hard to do, it's not like it, you know, drops out of a tree like a, you know, a fruit tree you shake. It's, uh, it's coming up with, a, with an original world, an original way of doing a world, original characters, stuff we haven't seen before, new stuff. And that, and that, and that is really compelling. And so that's, and that's, the, that's the challenge. The biggest advice I give people is educate yourself in your whatever whatever world you want to be in. I mean, you wanting to be a novelist, you know, read everything. You know what I mean? See what the bad stuff is, what doesn't work. See what the good stuff is, what what does work. If you hear about something being popular that maybe people are saying, oh, this is a terrible book, but sold a trillion copies, then read it and find out why. There's a reason why. Yeah, you know, that's all fantastic advice. And I do read everything, Jay. I just love to read. I mean, I'm I'm absolutely crazy to read books. So I'm about to shock you a little bit, I think. Um, this year so far, so far, because uh, I track this, I've read 73 books. And I'm talking, read them, like actual physical paper books. Good. Yeah. Keep going. I, I don't keep track because I... I read a lot. I mean, I've always read, read a lot. I mean, but I mean, my, my my mom used to t used to you know tell tell people that she would send me to my room for punishment, and I wouldn't come out. You know, I just pick up a book, go in, go to my room. I had books in my room. I was happy. You know, not, not, right now, nothing makes me happier than getting my hands on a, on a fresh book that's good. Yeah, I'm with you. Me too. So. Um... I really like Jeff Hopp's books, G. Michael Hopp. So his his book, The End, that was the the first one in the New World series. There's seven of them. That is a spectacular book. If you haven't read that, check it out. It's really, really great. Um, I, will, I will give it a try, yeah. Yeah, you should. I think you'll like them. I mean, it's 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 a little dystopian, but it's, it's well done dystopian. And um, I love some of the old masters. I love Jeffrey Archer. You, you familiar with his work? Yes. Yeah, he's 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 written a few really cool books. What are you reading these days? Tell me about some of the books you're reading. <laughs> I I have a, I have very uh, eclectic taste. I mean, I right now I, I finally my I, I read a lot uh, uh, now that I discovered uh, uh, online library borrowing. I I, I uh, you know I search I search the libraries for stuff I've I've never read that I always wanted to read. Like right now I'm reading Churchill's six volume or five volume i'm still on volume four right now history of the first world war oh man that's cool because i actually own the, i own and have read a couple of times his famous uh, series on the, the six volumes on the second world war which is fabulous you've read that i'm, re I'm reading now yeah and i and i now and i now i'm doing his 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 series on on the first world war which i am not as familiar with you know so i so i Enjoying that. I, I as research, I had to watch the movie Capote, which I had a long time ago, and and so I rewatched that 
online the other day, and now so now I'm I'm rereading also at the same time. I'm reading In Cold Blood, which I I never read actually. Yeah. So I, I I saw the movie. I never read the book, which is Capote was a really good writer, and, and you know stuff like I I frequently do that. I'll uh, recently read uh, uh, the the book of Red Dragon, which was the beginning of the whole Hannibal Lecter universe. Oh and, yeah, yeah, and, sure. And, 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 and which was made into two separate movies. It was made originally by Michael Mann. Which I really recommend if you haven't seen it. It's, it's actually really well done. Michael Mann's a really good director. And then, and then after the success of Silence of the Lambs, they remade it as Red Dragon, with uh, with with Anthony Hopkins being uh, Lecter again. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, Brian Cox makes a really great bad guy. He's been a great bad guy in tons of movies. So I'll do a lot of that. I'll, I'll compare different different draft. You know, if I if, if the books from a movie, I'll go back and read the original. I mean, one time I, I, when I was actually do, doing the research that turned into turned into my discussions that turned into Blake's book, uh, I, I, I watched the Maltese Falcon while turning the pages of the of the book, which I which I own, and 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 I found out Houston only has one line. John Houston, who, who wrote and directed it, only had one line that he added, which is the best line at the end, the last line. You know, we, you know, when the detective looks at the statue, and. And, uh, and it says, what is it? And it's just the stuff that dreams are made of. Wow, that's good. Yeah, I've seen the movie. I own it. I've actually watched it about half a dozen times. And I own the book, too. I read the book. Watch it, watch it with the book. You'll be amazed. I will. That's a great idea. I've never thought of doing that. That's so cool. Want to hear the story about how that happened? Because yeah. What happened was that... that, that, uh, that uh, I think it was Harry Cohen was the head of the studio and, and, and who was a real slave driver. And this was John Houston was a well-known screenwriter and, and offered to direct the movie for free if he, he'd write the script, but then offered offer to direct the movie for free if, if, if he got a chance to direct because he had never directed before. And so, you know, for free. I mean, how bad, how bad could it be? It was a, a really well-known book by a well-known writer. So, so, uh, so with the first thing that... Uh, uh, Houston did is he took the book, got, got a secretary, and dictated the parts he liked out of the book to the secretary. And he didn't know that Harry Cohen paid the secretary under the table to make an extra carbon back in the day of typewriters that we had carbons. And yeah. and, uh, and, he, and he and he took took the extra carbon that Houston didn't uh, didn't know he was he was making from this dictation and greenlit it. Wow. Houston never got a chance to do his own work on it. Harry Cohen was no fool. It didn't turn out bad. It turned out great. I think it's one of the top 20 movies of all time, you know, um, and it, it, it happens to feature uh, one of my top five favorite actors of all time, Humphrey Bogart. So, yeah, I love Bogart's movies. His movies are incredible. I mean, uh, actors from that era, uh, they just had a little something extra special that unfortunately for me is missing in some of the actors of, of the modern era. And Humphrey Bogart had it in spades. Anytime that man is on screen, it's just magic, magic. I think that was, and I could be wrong about this, but I think that was his breakthrough role too. You know, he, he had been, he'd been like a heavy. Yeah. You know, he was, he was Duke, he was Duke Man T in the Petrified That's right. Forest. Petrified Forest. That's right. That's right. And he was like a low level, kind of bad guy he, he was he was kind of like a charlie bronson kind of 
background character. And then even though he wasn't that kind of person at all, he was a he was a country club kid from the East Coast. He was. And, and uh, I mean, his hobby, his hobby was sailing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but he played that 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 that. that Tough guy role that was just—he was just amazing. You know, um, I interned one summer when I was twenty years old in uh, twenty-two. Sorry, twenty-two years old in uh, Hollywood for Carolco Pictures. Do you remember that company? Sure. Um, and my boss was a guy named Neil Russell. And he, as part of my homework, he gave me a book called *An Empire of Their Own*. And the subtitle was How the Jews Built Hollywood. And I remember um, that was such a great book. Um, and the fellow that I I, I kind of rooted for, even though um, he wasn't portrayed very flat in a very flattering way in that book, was Harry Cohn. Because he seemed to come from nothing, right? This is a guy who literally pulled himself up from his own bootstraps and created a fantastic business for himself. Of course, he was kind of rough and tough with a lot of the people who worked for him, but built a fantastic business. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the story of the Maltese Falcon and break it down for me. What makes this such a great story? Well, mostly it's the characters and situations. I mean, it's, it's you know, I mean, Dashiell Hammett, who actually had been a, pri a private eye in San Francisco. Yeah. So he, you know, he, he was he knew how to be a private eye. He had been one in San Francisco. And so he, he created this 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 great detective and, and, and this and this and this world of, of, of weird characters. I mean, those amazing characters that were that, that make make the move. You know, Peter Lorre became a, a star out of, out of that out of that. You know, Sidney Greenspeed. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Those, those characters. And they live they live now. They respect with it with being those characters their whole lives, those actors. And that's and that's the power of Dashiell. That's that's what Hammett did, and and and, and all all of Houston and Cohen obviously uh, did was was to immortalize them and, and with with actors. Yeah, they did a, an absolutely tremendous job with that. Uh, to me, that's one of the greatest movies of all time. You know, it's it's really clear who the good guys are. It's really clear who the bad guys are. And uh, when I look at uh, Blake Snyder's um, rules about what makes for uh, a great script, what makes for a, a great story is um, it's very clear what kind of movie it is. It's a detective story, uh, a whodunit type movie. And um, the, uh, the theme to me is that, um, you know, uh, you, can, you can triumph against overwhelming odds. And I could I could watch that movie once a week and, and still enjoy it every single time. Yeah, good movies are like that. They they, they just keep going back to them. And good books too. So you know I'm looking through Save the Cat, and um, Blake talks about a screenplay that you read that you told him about called the plot to kill the Pope. Yeah. Um, so could, could you tell the story? Cause it's a fantastic story. You're probably going to tell it way better than I ever would. I probably not. Cause I, 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 it was so many years ago. Okay. Let me, let me, let me prompt you. He talks about the Pope in the pool scene and why that was important and yeah. necessary in that particular script. So tell us a bit about that. 
what, it's what, what it is. The puppet it gets that scene because it gets quoted a lot, and I see on on, you know, on chat boards and stuff, people, people like are using that as an example of all the wrong stuff. What was fascinating about that is it was a, a they were trying. It was a scene where there it was basically an exposition scene. You had very you had getting across some very basic information, and you had and and, and what made it great was you had the Pope. <laughs> Who was a that pope was a young vital guy when he was first uh, installed and, and 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 doing laps in the pool while an aide is like talking to him and it's just it, it's just it's what we call cross action in a scene yeah. where where you you have something you have something really uh, 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 so, so really basic information I mean the, the best example ever of that is in Terminator when when you're in a, Sarah Connors and the audience doesn't quite know what this Arnold Schwarzenegger monster is, is coming after them. And they're in a car chase, trying to escape. He's on a motorcycle behind them. They're trying to escape. And all, and you're turning around corners and squealing tires. And it, it, what are we going to do? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. At the same time, he, he's, he's explaining what this monster is. So he's giving, a, giving us basic, which could be really, you could do it in a quiet room at a bar, you could do it that kind of exposition anywhere. But what 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 Cameron did was put it in a car chase. Okay, so yeah, I'm totally riveted to the car chase. At the same time, I'm getting the most boring exposition ladled on me. It's like brilliant. And it's the same thing with the Pope in the pool. I'm 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 in, I'm watching this guy swim his lap, which is got the Pope is doing laps in a swimsuit, and, and so. <laughs> And, and at the same time, I even, I don't even remember what the what the what the scene was about. It wasn't about the Pope in the pool. It was about the exposition that we were hearing from the guy walking along. As I remember, the guy was supposed to walk along uh, next to him, yeah. uh, uh, talking. So I, I always remembered that scene, and I and I told Blake about it. He was like dazzled. Cause this is many years later. I don't think we ever made the movie. It was supposed to be an HBO film, but I don't think we ever made it. Yeah, but it was but it was about the. Was in, I think it was eighty two. There's an assassination attempt on the Pope. That's right. Yeah, it was about that. That was the, that was the subject of the movie. Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, I remember that scene in the original Terminator. In that movie, you know, I saw it when it first came out back in nineteen eighty four, and I remember, I remember uh, the fellow who played Kyle Reese. He was saying, "Can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with, and it absolutely will not stop until you are." Dead while he's having that high speed car chase that's, scene. That's the same. And, and that, I never forgot that, those lines because of the high energy and excitement of the car chase scene. It had me riveted to what he was saying. Where if he was sitting yeah. in a living room doing it, I probably wouldn't have remembered even one word of it. No, because he wouldn't have had that energy. Because when you're in the middle of a car chase, you got to get your point across. Yeah, you know it's powerful. I love it. I love it, man. That's that's. Yeah. Movies, you'll see, you'll see that happen a lot in good movies, where 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 they where they stack it all up like that. Man, man, that's that that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. That's absolutely incredible. But yeah, I, I love that whole Pope in the in in the pool type of a scene. Uh, I think it's um, it, it's really really powerful stuff. So, what so does Blake well, mean? Well, the rule about that, I, there's a rule that I I like to to draw from that, which is never make the scene about the scene. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. When you when you when the scene's about one thing, make it make it about something else to keep us interested while the scene's going on. Mm-hmm. The pump in the pool is a perfect example, as as is that the car chase. That makes so much sense. Never make the scene about the scene. Make the scene about something else to get our attention. I love it. I think that's fantastic. So what did Blake mean when he came up with this title, Save the Cat? Explain this to us. Oh, it, it's, uh, and people, and people, you can't imagine, because I read a lot of people send me, I mean, I, I, on my website, people who go there will see that uh, people send me scripts to, to, to help them with it. And they, so I get a lot of scripts from people who are starting out. And, and they take, they take Save the Cat literally. And so people actually have scripts where in the first 10 pages, someone gets a ladder, goes up a tree and rescues a cat. I've, I've read that scene 20 times. And it's not, it's, <laughs> that's too that's funny, what man. My what God. He means is, what he means, and I'm sure you know, is the character does something that endears us to him. Yeah. Example was, uh, oh, I've lost the, I've lost the, what was the the, the Australian movie with uh, the drag queens uh, going on a tour in Australia? Remember oh. that? Um, God, which one are you talking and they have about? A, here? And they have a they have a a, a scene where the the, the uh, uh, guy Pierce is trying to organize uh, this. He's a he he's a a guy who's a a, a drag queen. Yeah. He's trying to organize a, t- a tour, and he's trying to he's trying to recruit the, the this famous drag queen who Terrence Stamps plays and, and and so you meet him as he's taking the phone call from 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 Pierce and he and 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 he's sitting in a chair and he's taking the phone call and he doesn't want to do it and you see you see and this is like in the 80s so you know AIDS is in the news and everything and you see a framed picture of this really good looking guy on a table next to him with a black piece of black crepe on it and I care about Terrence Stamps He's lost. He's lost his boyfriend, and that's all you get. Is you get. I'm concerned about him, and I'm in, I'm invested in him just from that one shot. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. He's okay. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna have to check it out. I haven't seen it, but um, you see, you see the human side of him. That somebody, somebody close to him has died. That always has us like care about the person on screen. I think the lesson is uh, is correct, irrespective of you know the details of the particular movie. But that's that that's very powerful. I really really like it. Um, so you can have so you can have a character who has like their brother is killed. Well, that's the same as save the cat because you're invested in it. Okay, yeah, that makes and, sense. And, and uh, Sam Spade's partner is killed, the Maltese Falcon. So that's that's his save the cat moment. Okay, so Mike, I'll tell you something. I think that um, for business people, it's important that they read fiction and they watch movies. Okay, and this is not a, um, a mainstream view in the business world. A lot of business people say, no, you should never read a novel. You shouldn't watch movies. It's a waste of time. But I actually think fiction soothes the savage beast in all of us. Fiction ennobles the soul. And I believe a good movie does the same thing. So whether you read fiction or you watch it in the form of a good movie, it does the same thing. And I'm wondering what your thoughts might be on that. Would you be advising business people 
to read more fiction and to watch more movies? Well, I, I think, I, they should, I mean, they should educate themselves just in the sense of uh, becoming one with the culture. If you don't understand the cult and, 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 and to do and to look at stuff that is not comfortable for you. You know what I mean? I mean, I, you know, I, I still haven't wrapped my head around. I mean, I'm, I'm an old white guy. I haven't wrapped my head around hip hop at all. I mean, it just sounds, you know. Yeah, you don't I, have teenage sons. I do. That's all they listen to. <laughs> no, I, I, had, I had a teenage daughter and it was like, can you turn that off? You know? And, and, uh, and so you have to expose yourself to that because, you, because that's where the culture is going. I mean, you know, when you're when you're older, you're you become out of it. I mean, that's why that's why a lot of a lot of companies don't hire older people because they're frankly out of it. They stop investigating new literature. Stop looking at the new movies. Stop listening to the new music. And and you're and you're kind of out of touch. And and I've been to, I've been in those creative meetings when I've seen people try to have a discussion who are who are like older and they're like out of it. You know, they're not, you have no confidence that they're going to be able to communicate to a modern audience. And I think, and, any, and a business person is the same thing. It's you're, if you're trying to reach out to, you know, the, the largest audience is, 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 is the youth, you can't, if you're not inside their heads, you're not going to sell them anything. You know, that's brilliant. That's absolutely brilliant. And I think that I, I would add a corollary to what you're saying now. If you're a business person who is, um, primarily looking at having, uh, you know, middle-aged customers, and you need to be where they're at culturally. You need to be looking at what are the things that they consume and uh, fiction, movies, music that matters to whatever your audience is into is what you need to be into to understand what's important to them, what they like, and what is it about what speaks to them that you don't know that you can learn from reading this fiction, and I mean, I, I'll, I'll give, go ahead. I'll give you an example from just, just a few weeks ago. Sure. Now, remember the, the all the all the fuss about uh, about uh, the, the WAP song on yeah uh, yeah on, yeah uh, Car- Cardi uh, B yeah yeah. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't, and and Megan Thee Stallion and I and I'm, and I'm, I didn't know what they were talking. I didn't watch the Grammys, but so I so I went on YouTube and there it was and. I, I looked at it, and my immediate was horrified. Said, oh my God, this is out, this is this is gross. Are you kidding me? And, and then and then the more I thought about it, and I looked at it again, and the more I thought about it, I said, No, this is brilliant. This is this is female empowerment. This is this is this is this is a this is a slap in the face to the guys who did Baby Got Back. You know what I mean? These are these are this is female empowerment of the first order, and. Get up, we better get as guys. We better get on this train, or or they're going to throw us off the train. Yeah. So you know, from a cultural perspective, I, I kind of see what you're saying. And uh, if I had a teenage daughter, I'm not so sure I'd be happy to see her doing that with her boyfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, but that's the point. Is you, if you're old enough to have a teenage daughter, you're you you're in. Especially if you're trying to communicate to that audience, you're in danger of being out of it. You got yeah, yeah, to open, that, open that, mind that up. That totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. But, you know, my son's 15 and he has a 15-year-old girlfriend and they're both coming to us and saying, can we sleep over at each other's places? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, you know. Yeah, I know. 
I, I went through that too. It's like, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy that at 15, both the guy and the girl are coming to their parents and going, can my boyfriend sleep over? Can my girlfriend sleep over? And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> she can come over, but she goes home at night. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, that's, that's a no I didn't lie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, but you know what? I, I, I like what you're saying. And see, my clients aren't, aren't young people, right? My clients are people who are kind of 35 to 60. And um, they're both men and women. Typically, they're not single. Typically, they're in a relationship. They might, they might be divorced. Um, and I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about what are the things culturally that appeal to these people? Because the truth is, I know what appeals to me, but I have no clue what appeals to all my clients. And this is a great takeaway from our conversation for me. So thank you. But, but, but it's even more important to get to find some way to communicate what your clients' customers are, are, are what appeals to them. That's, that's what's important. That's taking it you know, one, one level deeper, man. That's good. That's really good. You've got to sensitize them to what's going, what's going on in the culture. So the culture is like changing, and we can't even see it. You know, you can't even see it. It just happens out from under us. Yeah, that makes that that makes perfect complete sense. Okay, so Mike, you know what? I'm really enjoying this conversation, and um, if people are interested in finding out about you, about what you do, if they've got a script or a story that they like uh, your input on, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, through my website, I mean, you can. You, there's a, a an email link. Email me. Mike cheated. Mike cheated. It's like. <laughs> I, I was really, really creative very creative that day. I, I can uh, tell. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd have gone for something like, like, you know, you know, Pope in the pool at MikeCheetah.com or something like that. <laughs> oh, I was, no, I was, I was before Blake even published the book. I hadn't even read it. I mean, I literally, I mean, it's a true story. He called me up out of the blue. I hadn't heard from him for a while. And, and cause that, that would happen with Blake. And, and he called me up and said, do you have a domain name? Do you have a website? And I was like, huh? I was not smart. And so he, he said, you know, call, call GoDaddy go immediately. And I called him up and I, and I said, well, what do you want your email address to be? And so I just told him, blah, 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 blah. So I said, MikeGeeta at MikeGeeta.com. And that's, that's my email address. And people can email me. And you should I'll keep that email address. But you know what? You should call your friendly neighborhood GoDaddy uh, rep and say, hey, can I get another email? Pope in the pool at MikeGeeta.com. I think that'd be a cool one to have. <laughs> It's my, mine's out there. That's the problem. Once, once, you know what I mean? It's like, once you, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, advising people. Yeah. And it's like, I'm stuck with, I'm stuck with me. You're stuck with you. I got it. Hey, listen, if you ever get an assistant or, you know, a virtual assistant, give them the Pope in the pool at mycheetah.com email. <laughs> Don't let it be their name. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So, okay, great. So we're going to make sure they do that. So, Mike, this is a crazy question, but do you just do this for scripts or do you do this for stories and novels too? I sometimes, I'll sometimes work on, uh, uh, I've worked on musicals, I've worked on uh, sitcoms, I've worked, uh, I've worked on some novels, not, not too many. Okay. Uh, but but I, what I'll do is I'll talk to writers about how to dramatize, to, to put together a novel, like to how to work at the conceptual stage, but how, how to structure your stories. And then they'll go off and, and, and write the book. And sometimes they even send them to me to read. Oh, okay. 
All right. Well, my expertise is moving. Yeah. No, I understand that. I understand that. Uh, okay. Well, that's that sounds pretty cool. Um, I'm in the process of, of writing. Uh, I, I'm, you know, my uh, Jeff told me just keep writing. Just keep writing, man. Don't don't worry about it. Don't worry if, if it's any good or not. Right now, uh, when you give it to me, I'll 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 make it better. <laughs> but just get it down on paper. Let me ask you a question because if you were to contract me, I would ask this question. What is your process when you're when you're writing this? What I would call, I guess, a, a vomit draft. You know, where you just yeah. so. So do you know do you know about Steve Pressfield? Do you know you know who Steve Pressfield is? I do not. So he um, he wrote the the book The Legend of Bagger Vance that got turned into the movie. Yes, I've read the book and saw the movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's that guy. He also wrote a bunch of nonfiction books to help writers, and uh, his most famous one is called The War of Art. And he's got these little um, short, kind of twenty-five to thirty-five page books about writing and about beating something he calls resistance, and they're called jabs. So I I kind of read all Steve's twenty-four jabs. I've read all his books on writing. And what I did is I kind of used the yellow foolscap method in, in which on a piece of yellow foolscap, I decided what my story was about, what my theme was, what the genre was, who's the hero, who's the bad guy, all, all that stuff. And then because I run a business full time and I do this podcast, I have a process called, that I kind of stole from Jerry Seinfeld. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, before he was Jerry Seinfeld, uh, had a buddy that he wrote comedy with and they made a pact that they were going to write uh, comedy for 15 minutes a day for 30 days. So they both did it. Jerry's buddy stopped after 30 days. Jerry kept writing for eight more years. And that's how come he became so good. So I've got this thing I call 75 write, where every day for 75 days straight, I write a minimum 500 words in my novel. So that's what I do. That's my process right now. I've got the, the full scap kind of outline and I write 500 words a day. Okay, that's not quite... The question I was asking. Oh, so okay, sorry. You've got your you've got your idea and you've got your theme and all that. But did did you beat out a story? Did you track a story, outline a story before you started writing? Yes, but not in a lot of detail. Basically, I kind of came up with an idea and I said, okay, here's my good guy, here's my bad guy, uh, and here's the journey the good guy takes to realizing he's got to fight the bad guys, and here's what happens at the end. That's all. That's my outline. It's kind of half a page. But uh, yeah, I, my advice to people always is to do a detailed outline of anything before you do a final draft. But before you do a, a full draft. Okay. I mean, that's I, I'm going to say that, but because just for, for me, I can't ever write anything unless I know exactly where it's going. At, at the end, I can't do the first page unless I know what the last page is. So it. So it's. I don't know. It's, I, how, I always detailed it, should I know, how detailed should an outline be? As detailed as you need to get the whole story down. You should have the whole story okay. laid out. And, and Blake talk, talks at length. And this is something that we did when I worked with him, did a lot. Yeah. Is, 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 we put it on a board. We, we, took, we took index cards That's right. and made a board. He describes in his book in excruciating detail how we did that. And it's all yeah. accurate. Is, is how to how to board out a story so you can actually, in one eyeball look, you know where your whole story is on index cards. It has to be, and it, whatever fits on the index cards is it, then you can take that and type it up, and it usually comes out to like a 10, 12 page outline. 
you know. Okay. And, and right. then you take that, then it's really easy when you sit down and do your 500 words a day. They just they just go because it's because you know exactly where you're going and what you're going to do from scene to scene. You don't have to you don't have to wonder. That's good advice. I read that after I'd started writing, and I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to do that this time, but maybe I should. Maybe I should. <laughs> maybe I should. Okay, I appreciate it. So it's good to know that you do this kind of thing for novels. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, I may take you up on it because uh, it. Well, this, this, this draft you're doing might be the draft that teaches you the wisdom of what, you, what you're teaching me right now. <laughs> Don't be a dummy next time, bud. <laughs> life is life is that conversation every no, day. It's true. It's true. And hey, listen, uh, on that whole thing of offending people, I'll tell you this. One of my mentors uh, said this to me. He said, if you're easily offended, that means uh, that inside yourself, you've got some, uh, you've got some lack of belief going on uh, toward who you are in the world. And you, you, you cover up your own lack of faith in yourself by getting easily offended at what the world throws at you. So he said, don't be offended too much by, by too many things. Most things aren't worth taking offense over. And I try to live my life that way. So you want to call yeah. me something? Well, if I mess up I in something, feel free to do so. <laughs> I, don't, well, I personally don't, don't get offended, but I, 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 feel, I'm just, I just feel badly if I'm offending somebody else. You know no, I, mean? I understand. Listen, I'm, I'm a Persian boy. I'm originally from, from, from Iran in the Middle East. And in our culture, offending somebody is, is <laughs> not good. You know, and you're taught to. Oh, that's not, not you know, uh, do you know uh, uh, a, a comedian by the name of Dan Adute? No, I don't. Who's that? Uh, I wrote, I wrote, he and I wrote a script together that sadly didn't get made from an idea that uh, Blake and I had. Oh, was, cool. He was like, yeah, and, and, and a few years ago. He's, uh, he, he's, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's Persian. I mean, so when you say Persian, I mean, are you Iranian? Or are you? Yeah, I'm Muslim? Iranian. I'm 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 a Christian Iranian. My my family left right after the Islamic Revolution. It just became very clear it was not going to be a good place to be a Christian in. Because because in 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 L.A. and and Beverly Hills, by the way, is entirely Persian. Yep, it, I know. It's, it's like they the the uh, the graduation the graduation ceremony at, at Beverly Hills High is uh, in English and, and Farsi. That's incredible, and I, man! I love it. And so that, and we I actually, uh, Dan and I wrote a, wrote a script that was based at Beverly Hills High. So we it was about the, the clash of cultures between the, the, the Persians and the and the non-Persians. But here in LA, Persian means uh, Iranian Jew, whereas an Iranian is just an Iranian. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a Christian uh, Iranian, but everybody here calls uh, Iranians Persian. Everyone in in Canada, they don't. If you say Iranian, they just go, "Oh, you mean you're Persian?" Okay. Well, because, because sadly, because of what, for what, because of history or recent history, yeah. Iranian is sort of the bad guys. Yeah, so you, you, unfortunately, Iranian, I, I'm proud to be an Iranian. Very proud. Yeah, you should be. Iran has like this amazing culture. I mean, my God. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Very rich, yeah. very, very, uh, very traditional, very, uh, very old. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, one of my ideas for a future novel is to write something that uh, happened uh, during the time of Cyrus the Great. Because there's all these novels and all these stories being told about ancient Rome and ancient Greece 
And I'm kind of, and they're pretty cool. I like them. I enjoy them. But why isn't anybody telling stories about Cyrus the Great? I mean, I don't know if you knew, but Cyrus the Great was the first major world leader to actually create a universal declaration of human rights. He was the first world leader to try to be tolerant to other races and ethnicities and religions. All ah. the rest of them back in those days, if you weren't one of them, you were their slaves. <laughs> so, you know, I'm kind of proud of that. Plus, he was he was pretty badass when it came to conquering three quarters of the known world at the time. Yeah, well, that was that, that was a that was a thing back in the day. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I kind of think it still is today. They're just trying to hide behind, yeah, you, you know, all, all this modern political correctness. Oh no, no, I'm a good guy and all that. But you, but you know, people still want to conquer the world, and uh, and uh, um, there's a fellow who passed away last year. His name is Stefan Arnio. He died at 33, same age as Jesus, and he kind of looked like Jesus, which was really strange. He wrote a book. Um, he wrote eight books. Four of them are business books because that's what he was known for, but he almost died of cancer, and then cancer actually took him, and he went to um, the rainforest in Costa Rica and did a water fast for 40 days, and he started having hallucinations, and he, and he felt that, you know, God universe, higher power gave him a message and he started to write feverishly. Like in 11 days, he wrote 800 pages and he published this book called Hard Times uh, Create Strong Men. And in it, he just talks about how history just repeats itself roughly every 80 to 100 years. It just repeats yeah. itself. And we human beings, most of us just don't bother to study it to see that it's repeating itself. <laughs> you know, and I, I read his book and the examples that he put in there, and I thought, yeah, you're absolutely right. This is 100% correct. So there you have it. Anyways, so we like to end off each and every one of our interviews, Mike, by asking you as our guest expert, um, what are your top three expert action steps that you recommend my listener take on to take his or her life to the next level? What do you say? Well, I, ugh, I, 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 I don't know if I even have, I have them. Mine are, are kind of specific to my discipline. That's cool. You know, which is to, just to, Educate yourself as best you can. You know, I mean, I, we touched on that in, in our conversation. Yep. Is it? Is it? You know, I you can't. I can't tell you the number of people that send me a script that they've written, and I and, and then then back and forth with them, I realize that they really haven't seen many movies. And they have no idea. They would know, have no idea what the Maltese Falcon is, for instance. And they haven't educated them. So you got to educate yourself. You're out. If you're any kind of art, any kind of artist, whether it's Screenwriting or novel, novel novelization or or or, or even a, even a graphic artist, you're competing with. If you're a graphic artist, you're competing with Picasso. If you're if you're a writer, you're competing with Hemingway. If you're a screenwriter, you're competing with you know John Huston and Aaron Sorkin, and so you got to. And that's a high bar. But the marketplace is the marketplace. So you got You have to know your market, and you have to educate yourself, and you have to. And the other the other. That's important. I'm trying to break this up so I can make it into three things. Uh, the other, the other thing is to is to just keep at it. You know, like like you said, we were just talking about your first draft of your novel. You get this may be the practice novel, you know, and then you maybe you might do another practice novel. Don't expect to get it right away. I mean, that whole the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hour rule yeah. applies every, applies everywhere. You just need repetition, repetition, repetition. You have to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep going to movies, keep reading books, keep practicing writing, 
you know, repetition and you and you'll figure it out because you're not you, you can read a lot of books about the basics, but the books aren't going to tell you how to do it. You kind of have to figure out how to do it. And it's hard. Yeah. In terms of, in terms, and the other thing, the other thing I tell people is you especially when, when you have to do with show business is you have to. It's always the, the term you've heard the term breaking into show business. Yep. You literally have to do that. That's why the term exists. Like any cliche, it's true that you have to bang on the doors. You have to be persistent. It's not enough just to have a good idea or a good script or be a great performer or or whatever it is that you're selling. Selling, you have to you have to beat doors down. You have to be persistent. You know, you can't you can't just say when some take no for an answer. And you, you have to. Be, it's really hard to break into show business, and you have to. Do it. You have to break down the wall. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, so, you, you know, Mike, when you said that um, you're not going to learn how to do it by reading a book, you're 100% correct. One of the thought leaders I follow is a guy named David Goggins. I don't know if you know who David Goggins is, but he's a uh, he's an African-American man, Navy SEAL, ex-Navy SEAL, and he's known for running these insane, and I mean absolutely insane, ultra distance races. And he talks about how in his life, he hasn't wanted to be a book expert. He's wanted to be a practitioner. So he goes out there and he actually does what he wants to learn about. And I think writing's one of those things. Any part of life is one of those things that you have to become a practitioner of. So I think that that's really powerful. And what, what you said at the end, it's so important for my listener to understand that point because you have to break into any business you're in and you're not going to break into the business simply by sitting behind your desk, you know, creating a bunch of videos, doing podcasts. You need to knock on doors. You need to have conversations with real human beings. And that's how you're going to break into any business. So really, really great expert action steps, Mike. Thank you so much. Um, I was, it was a really fun conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. So we're going to put your website, MikeCheetah.com, in the show notes. And listener, listen, if you're interested in finding out more about Mike and what he does, I mean, he's worked on some of the uh, most iconic, well-known movies and TV shows in Hollywood history. Go check him out. Go to his website. Go to MikeCheetah.com. If you've written a uh uh, a book, a screenplay, or are interested in doing so. He's got a whole bunch of really cool services, and they are absolutely worth every penny that he's asking for. So make sure you take advantage of that. And if you've enjoyed this conversation, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing, okay? Would you share it with somebody, listener? Would you share it with a friend who could benefit from Mike's wisdom? We don't charge for the show, and we don't even have a sponsor for the show. What we do ask as payment from you, our listener, is that if you got value from it, share it with someone else who you think can get value from it. We're trying to grow a movement here. And the movement we're growing is a movement for entrepreneurship, is a, is a movement for artistry. Because I believe in your heart as an entrepreneur, you're an artist. Steve Jobs said every entrepreneur in their heart is an artist. And an artist ship, he said. And you as an artist need to ship. And one of the things you need to ship is you need to ship your enthusiasm for this work, for what we're trying to do to somebody else, because we can't do it without you. So please make sure that you do that. And if you want to take advantage of 
all the resources that we have to help you in your entrepreneurial journey, all you got to do is go to eCircleAcademy.com. There's a whole bunch of free resources we have there from white papers on how to grow your business as a thought leader to an actual blueprint of a masterclass on how to add a quarter million dollars or more to your business to a fantastic book that I wrote that's for sale on Amazon, but I'm offering the Kindle version of it for free on the website. So make sure you go to eCircleAcademy.com. Take advantage of all these free resources. Okay. Mike Cheetah, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Mike Cheetah, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com, check out the show notes, or just go to mikecheetah.com, or go to our show notes on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, or anywhere else that you listen to this podcast, and make sure that you engage with Mike, you engage with the work that he does. He's brilliant at what he does. He's truly a world-class thought leader when it comes to storytelling, creating stories, writing really fantastic scripts, and scripts that actually end up being in demand by the people who make the movie. So this is powerful. We're very blessed, very grateful to have Mike here on the show. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.